Welcome back to Five Dangerous Ideas About Faith, Part 3. Dangerous idea number three. We just need to love people and not try to persuade or argue with them. This claim sounds persuasive. Really persuasive. This generation of teens has seen our country arguing and very divided over issues of morality, immigration, abortion, elections, religion, and more. We are all tired of all of the mudslinging and insulting that we see every election cycle. It has gotten old. As a millennial, I grew up hearing that we should avoid talking about religion and politics if we want to get along with people. In an attempt for everyone to get along and feel welcome, we have promoted tolerance and acceptance as one of our key virtues that can help our society move forward into the future. This definition of tolerance is different than the traditional definition. The traditional definition used to be getting along with people even though you hold opposite views. In our culture today, tolerance has been defined to mean accepting all ideas as equally true. Everyone has their truth and we must respect it. In order to love people, we must celebrate whatever viewpoint or life choices they make. To do otherwise is not loving. We have also seen this viewpoint influence the way even Christians think about engaging with others. Amongst believers, it is generally viewed as more effective to just love people and not try to argue with them. After all, it is said, people were never argued into the kingdom. Thus, Christian apologetics, which apologetics is presenting evidence and reasons for the biblical worldview, it is argued that apologetics is not necessary. But is this approach truly the best way forward to engage with others? To claim that our posture should either be avoidance or accepting all ideas as equally true is self-defeating towards creating real dialogue and only perpetuates a superficial sense of community. Maybe the better way forward is that we learn how to think and act in dialogue with people that have opposing views. First, it seems that we should probably be clear on how we are defining the word love. Is it just a feeling? Is it kindness? Is it physical intimacy with someone? Or could there be a more robust definition of it? I believe there must be. There must be an unchanging definition of love rooted in something transcendent, something that is beyond changing humans' transcendence. Because everyone seems to define love differently in our culture. Consider this. If there is anything objectively wrong, objectively meaning unchanging and it's always wrong. If there is anything objectively wrong, then there must be an objective standard to measure something as evil or wrong. For example, for rot on a tree to exist, there must be a tree. Rot is a negation of the standard of treeness. In the same way, the existence of evil is a negation of good, a lack of good. And it is evidence that there is an objective, unchanging standard that trends humanity. This standard is an unchanging, personally good, divine being, also known as God. Since God's nature 
is the standard of goodness, then our definition of love must be connected with understanding who God is. And in turn, we will understand how we are, as His creatures, to love others and correspond with His design. If the New Testament is true, then what it writes about God, love, and what His followers are commanded to do in response to His commands and how to love others, we should take notice. We see in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in Him. We also see in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. And in John 13, I give you a new command to love one another, just as I have loved you, you also must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In Jesus, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thus we see that if God is the standard and source of all life, goodness, and love, then defining love based off of who He is makes sense. From what we know from these verses, God's love can be defined as having full knowledge of who we are, yet being fully committed to us and pursuing us in relationship, pursuing our greatest good. As author and pastor Matt Chandler says, Love is saying, I have seen the ugly parts of you, and I am staying. That is what God is like. He is the perfect expression of love. And God is committed to our greatest good. What is our greatest good? To know the truth of why we exist, and to be in relationship with the source of life and love, and to reflect that love back to others. Thus, the most loving thing we can do for others is share the truth with them. Love always delights in others knowing and embracing the truth. Is serving people helpful in persuading someone to another point of view? Certainly, but the claim that we should only love and serve people is making an argument against using arguments. It doesn't meet its own standard. It's impossible to escape using logic. We should be gracious and serve people, but truly loving them is telling them the truth. And second, we must recapture the art of respectful debate and dialogue. Without this, how can we even test ideas, see other perspectives, and change the way we think and interact? We must learn to listen to understand instead of listening to respond. We must learn to see things from the other person's point of view instead of quickly misrepresenting their view and then refuting a false character of that view. We see this supported 
in the New Testament letter from the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear. So loving someone means that we would humbly speak the truth to them. Debate is good for all people. It just must be done with care and humility. This leads us right into our next dangerous lie in our culture. Dangerous idea number four. Apologetics is not for everyone. An apologist is someone who responds to objections and gives reasons for a certain viewpoint. Everyone is an apologist to some degree. If I attacked your favorite movie, you better believe that you wouldn't you would be an apologist for it and defend it. As we are have already established by this point, one, there is absolute truth, faith is not blind, and three, debating is good and vital for everyone to discover truth. If those things are true, then everyone must receive training in apologetics. What kind of apologetics? Defending the greatness of the Flash against other superheroes? I believe that I can certainly do that. But, if Christianity is true, wouldn't it make sense that out of our love for God and others, that we should receive training in apologetics? Why? Because we should care about and celebrate truth. Since everyone is an apologist, the question becomes, are you an apologist for a worldview that best explains reality? We must consider carefully the apologetic that our life is making a case for. We may claim that we believe in an afterlife and that this life is not all that there is. But through our words and actions, we may end up promoting and defending an opposite worldview, promoting the pursuit of self-pleasure, self-exaltation, self-achievement, self-made morality as the greatest aim of life then we may be subtly communicating that this world and its priorities are all that matter and that there is nothing ultimately beyond this world. With our life, we end up making a case, an apologetic, for what we truly believe that life is all about. Is our life defending something that is truly valuable, though? If God really exists and has revealed himself through the person and work of the crucified and now resurrected Messiah, as the Gospels say, then we must center all of our lives around knowing Jesus, fully God, fully man, and knowing Him and making Him known through the message that He has given us in His life, that He lived a life of perfection, perfectly fulfilling all of the requirements that God's law requires, and then dying a death in our place as a perfect substitute of one who had fulfilled all the requirements of the law, he is now a perfect substitute in our place to pay for our sin before a holy and perfectly just God, and then rising from the dead three days later, proving that he is God, and proving that God the Father received his payment for our sin, and all those who would by faith trust in him turn from their sin and themselves, and place their faith in Christ alone, and received By grace, a gift they could not earn or ever be good enough to deserve. They will receive His forgiveness and new life, and His Spirit will dwell on them forever, and they will be secure in their relationship with God forever, and can't lose that. 
if that message is true, then we must reflect that message to others and communicate that message. Only then will we actually find life, find satisfaction, when we lose a life centered around self that we think we desperately want and need and find it being centered around God and who He has revealed, then we will truly find life. I believe since this message is true, any case that we make with our words in life that is anything but pointing to this reality, that knowing Jesus is where life is found, anything but pointing to that, we are lying to people about why they are created. As author C.S. Lewis famously said, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Or consider this quote by 4th century church father and theologian Augustine. He echoed, echoed a similar sentiment. He says, Our hearts were made for you, O Lord, and they are restless until they rest in you. How true that is. Thus we must make a consistent and clear apologetic to others on the reason why they were created. Most of our friends and family may not be at the point now where they would even read a book on the scientific or logical evidence for Christianity. But they may be open to hearing from you present the case for Christianity. If you were in a position without knowledge of the truth, wouldn't you want your friends and family to work hard to communicate and persuade you to the truth? Famous TV show magician and atheist Penn Gillette commented in one of his YouTube videos that he doesn't respect people who don't proselytize, share their faith. He explained to his audience, how much do you have to hate someone not to share your faith? Furthermore, he mentioned that if we really do believe in heaven and hell, then out of our love for others, we should be sharing our faith with them. How convicting that is, even from someone who doesn't share our convictions as a believer. Additionally, For our own shaping of our mind around truth, we should study apologetics. Apologetics helps deepen our faith and our confidence to talk with others about what we believe. Also, it helps us to see how all of reality must be shaped around the truth of the inspired words of God, the Old and New Testament scriptures. Why is it that we are willing to challenge ourselves and study hard in all other subjects when we are in school, but then are afraid to challenge ourselves with learning theology and apologetics and defending the truth of Christianity. We can do better. We must, or else we will continue seeing the shrinking of teens who understand the reasonableness of the Christian worldview. I'm not saying that we all have to become professional apologists, but I am saying that all believers must do better at articulating the reasonableness of the Christian worldview. This leads us to our final Dangerous idea. Dangerous idea number five. It is better for us to isolate ourselves from those we disagree with. Yes, the world is a scary place. There is a rise of shootings and terrorist attacks. Ideas can have drastic consequences. So, of course, we must protect the next generation. All good parents recognize the need to protect their children and limit their exposure to things that they are not ready to handle. It is easy to feel like, well, the best method forward must be to isolate our children and teens from the world. However, this could be setting them up to fail if we become too overprotective. 
Typically, when we isolate ourselves from others, we end up just having a giant echo chamber of our own ideas circulating around. It becomes easier to misrepresent other people's views or demonize them and their reasons for holding those views. However, when your teen goes away to college, they will be exposed to many ideas whether you like it or not. Some good and others not so much. They will receive a level of exposure that will make it harder for them to even react well against false ideas. In fact, they may even embrace those ideas and question much of the worldview of their upbringing. It can be compared to receiving an exp- exposure to the flu virus that you never got a shot for. Thus, your, bro- your body probably can't handle it and you will get sick. What if we thought of a better way to raise the next generation that produces young adults that love truth, a reasonable faith, respectful dialogue, and have received training in apologetics? What if we thought about inoculating instead of isolating? What if we expose the next generation to some of the greatest questions and objections to Christianity from various worldviews while they are with us? Isn't that option a little risky? To a degree, yes. But is it as risky as sending them off to college with no exposure to these ideas? Also, remember, if Christianity is true, we shouldn't be afraid of thinking through some of those tough questions. Remember, we shouldn't be afraid of questions. We should engage with them. Churches and youth groups should be the safest place in the world to discuss difficult questions about life, morality, God, sexuality, and we shouldn't be afraid of them. We should embrace the pursuit of truth and delight in truth. In summary, I invite all my listeners to pursue truth, a reasonable faith, debate, respectfully with others, train in apologetics, and engage in conversations with people and their ideas, even if you may disagree with them. In the end, I believe that you will see the joy of true tolerance, love, celebration of truth, and new friendships that are formed. Pursuing these ideas will have great consequences. Thank you so much for listening to Engage Truth. This is Caleb Harrelson. I hope you will catch us on our next episode coming soon.